For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Just when you thought you'd had enough heartbreak with a last-minute winner disallowed by the video assistant referee against Spurs, fate conspires to do it all again just four months later. An exit from the Champions League and two extra Premier League points snatched away by VAR. Oh, football gods, how you spoil us so. When you finish banging your head against a brick wall in frustration, settle down and thrash out all of your annoyances with this week's Blue Moon podcast. On today's show, we're discussing the use of the video assistants in Saturday's two-all draw with Tottenham. Is it the technology that's the problem, or are the laws of the game no longer fit for purpose? We'll try to get to the bottom of it all for you. Also on this week's show, we'll be previewing Sunday's trip to Bournemouth and catching up with former City striker Darren Huckabee, who lifts the lid on his time at Main Road. So strap in and brace yourself to get all wound up again by this week's controversy. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio are two City fans in the shape of Helen Powell. Hello. And Nicola Unsworth. Hello. How are you both doing? Fantastic. Just about recovered. That's a lie, isn't it? I was, yes. was going to say, it, it, if you're anything like me, like I said on the on the show last season when the Spurs thing happened, they, I, I said to, it was Richard and Paul, and I said to them, what, what did you do to recover? I'll be honest, I punched a coffee table. When I was in the stadium, I couldn't do that. So, <laughs> so I kicked the seat in front of me. Nice. Because <laughs> I'm a big baby. Oh, I was just in disbelief, really. Just couldn't believe what had happened. And the more you read about it, the more you hear about it all week, it just... Yeah, it doesn't get much better. Well, uh, let's calm down and we'll uh, we'll go through it all bit by bit now, shall we? So uh, to start with, two points dropped already this season. Um, but it's not really the fact that points have been dropped, is it, Nick? It, it's the manner of how they were dropped in in, in the end. It's it's just the fa- the fashion of how how they're dropped. VAR again. I I am not a fan of it at all. I don't know if it's because it's change or. I just don't like how it's been applied. I don't necessarily think it fits the rules of the game. I think there's a lot of like a kind of a testing period where we've got to make it all work together. And it's just unfortunate that we're kind of realising that maybe the handball slash armball rule and VAR. I don't. I don't know. I just. Well, they're saying the testing period is going to be ten years. In ten years' time, fun on a button. <laughs> ten I'm years' go- time, live football is not going to be what it is now. That I whole am- match day experience is going to be completely different and be full of different people there than there are now. I will be forty-three years old and very angry. Don't say that. <laughs> um, in, in terms of of the game itself, do you feel? Had you come to terms with a two-all draw before that goal was disallowed? And what I mean by that, were you more angry for the fact that that they drew it the way they did rather than if they just meandered to a finish of a two-all draw? Oh, yeah, it's that. There's no feeling. There's no feeling of that euphoria that you get for a last-minute winner. That's unmatched in any aspect of life, in my opinion. Um, and to have that and to have it taken away again, have to wait those nearly two minutes, felt like a lifetime. It's just... You, you walk away feeling angry. You know, I, I would have been... Genuinely would have been less upset if we'd lost. That's, I mean, when you put it like that, yeah, it, it's, it just it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't like it doesn't make sense how you can have that roller coaster of emotions no. just because of like a, a like a last minute disallowed it goal. Was, it's not the same as the linesman just stood there with his flag up because it, you kind of react to that immediately. It's sadness as well because it's the way it's the game we love and it's changing and the way we experience that game is going to be changing and it's it's that that just overall I think. Anger and then just sadness, really. Well, Nick, I'm I'm a firm believer of looking on the bright side. Don't look at me like that. It's true. <laughs> um, just giving him the death stare. <laughs> if you're going to drop points, now is the best time to do it. You know, there's 36 games left to make up the, the, those two points that you've dropped. So, it, so it's not like it's not the end of the world. No, no, no. It's not. It's not the end of the world. And it's it's better dropping the points now than you know, two two games from the end of the season. It's it's 
not that there's a right time to do it, but it's better that we've done it now. It's just the manner which it happened. And if there's a team that proved that they can put a run of results together over the last two years, it's City. <laughs> think so i think we've kind of proven that we can do that right well we're, we're going to take a little bit of a change to the normal format because we said on last week's podcast that we didn't want the var discussion to overtake the talking points around how good city have been in their win over west ham while i was sitting there watching the match with spurs i was again planning to do the same but that was when pep guardiola's side were leading to one by full time it was obvious what the biggest talking point was we'll get to the city performance and what they could have done better to win that game shortly but first i've been taking a look at the var decisions and the mood around them after just two matches this season. I've been cheated by everyone. I've been cheating myself. Tottenham at home, a last minute winner, the video assistant referee. Where have we heard that before? We lived that situation in Tottenham last season in Champions League. We... Does it feel the same? It was the same. Yeah, the last action. So we scored a goal and the referee, well, the referee VAR. Yeah. So this allowed it. So what should I say? It's a second time. Stuff. <laughs> Honestly, stuff. That City boss Pep Guardiola speaking to Sky Sports after Saturday's 2-2 draw at the Etihad. Given the goal that Spurs scored in knocking City out of Europe last season, you can understand why the manager was feeling peeved when Gabriel Jesus' strike was ruled out because the ball threw hit Emerick Laporte on the arm. We saw now in, inside the images, not quite clear. But if they believe his hands. Sometimes his hands in the Champions League for Llorente, sometimes it's not hands, so that is where it is. So. But it's now, now we have to punish, we have to accept it and, and, and keep going from here. As Guardiola says, the laws of the game have changed since that Fernando Llorente goal last April. Now it reads that it's an offence if a player gains possession or control of the ball after it's touched their arm and then goes on to score or create a goal-scoring opportunity. It doesn't matter if it's accidental. Here's football journalist Dan Burke. To make matters worse, that the replay showed the Spurs player Oliver Skip pulled Laporte's arm towards the ball as the corner came in. Um, it looked like it probably hit his hand too uh, on the way through to Jesus. So you know, there's a lot of reasonable doubt there that I think the referee could have applied a bit of common sense if he was able to. Um, of course, he isn't under the, the the way the law has changed now. He believes the change has only come about because of the introduction of VAR. As many have pointed out, this is less a problem with VAR per se and more a problem with the change of the handball law and. You know, that may be true, but I think the two, uh, pardon the pun, go hand in hand. Um, you know, these, these fractional offsides we've seen a lot of, it's VAR that's helping to enforce these really pedantic and stupid laws. And um, I think something's got to be done about it. You know, the, the ball definitely brushed Laporte's hand. It changed its course on the way through to Jesus. Um, you know, it's difficult to understand what he could have possibly done to avoid that, though. The question is, though, with the way that the law is now written, was it applied correctly by the video referee on Saturday? The idea was to make sure that players couldn't score with their arms simply because it was accidental. But the new regulations seem to take things too far the other way. What's more, the, the new law actually states that a player must gain possession or control the ball with their arm in order to commit a foul, which um, suggests the law wasn't even applied correctly in this instance, which is obviously incredibly uh, confusing and frustrating, not just for City fans, but for everybody. Um, I've always been a pretty big advocate of VAR, but two games into the new season, I'm already fed up with it. Dan's feelings are not uncommon. Speaking on the Sunday supplement on Sky Sports, The Telegraph's Sam Wallace explained why it only really works if you're watching the match on TV. There was a few City fans in front of me and they were, you know, they were really celebrating and the pair of glasses went up in the air and someone was wearing someone else's hat. And, and then there's that moment where it's, you know, it's, it all stops. And I, I know that we have to get decisions right. I know that when Andre Mariner sends off the wrong Arsenal player, it's absurd and the rest of the world can see. And we, of course, there has to be some way of saying, no, 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 you, you've got that wrong. But for someone who goes to the games, who's fortunate enough to go to the games, I, I think the stadium experience is miserable. For the video assistant to disallow Jesus' goal on Saturday, it took 1 minute and 38 seconds. This isn't the same as scoring and seeing the line assistant with their flag up, or hearing the referee blow for a foul. This is a whole new level of crushing disappointment. And while we've tied ourselves in knots over offsides and handballs, the other big decisions are still wrong. Here's Guardiola again speaking to Sky Sports about an incident in the first half. It was a penalty from brother in the first half, incredible. And the referee said, no, I know VAR and VAR don't accept that uh, to review and the last minute review. So 
So I don't know, believe me. So only we can do is play in that way and the others will take that decisions, accept it and move forward. Dan Burke is just as confused. The decision not to award City a penalty for Eric Lamella's foul on Rodri earlier in the game would have been pretty baffling without VAR. Um, I can't for the life of me understand how Michael Oliver has looked at that and not given a foul or even how the VAR down in London has done the same. I think if they'd both seen that clearly and decided it isn't a foul, that's actually quite frightening and I'd be probably... I think it'd probably be helpful if the Premier League or, or Pigmall or, or whoever could release a, a short statement after they've made decisions like that, explaining why they've come to that. Um, it would make things a lot clearer for, for the fans. The Blue Moon podcast spoke to the Premier League to find out the protocol of what happens in instances like that penalty that wasn't given. It works like this. There is no referral. Michael Oliver will have been in constant contact with the VAR team, and after the Rodri and Lamella incident, he would have been asked by the video assistants what he'd seen. The video referee will only then recommend a change if what the on-field referee describes is different to what they can see on the replay. They don't want to re-referee matches, so unless there's a discrepancy, they won't advise a change. To cut a long story short, Michael Oliver saw the tangle and decided it wasn't a foul. I think there's still an argument to be made that the technology could improve the game by correcting you know, some of the really obvious mistakes. Lamella's foul on Rodri in this game, for example. Um, the way it's been used to penalise these marginal offsides and phantom handballs, it's just really not in the spirit of the game. And I feel like you have to be on the receiving end of one of these decisions before you, you're really going to understand how crap it feels. There's lots of people out there at the moment who are basically saying, you know, the rules are the rules and this is what we wanted, we've just got to stick with it now. But I think everyone loses out in the long run because of this and sooner or later they're going to have to make some changes because people are going to be turning away from football in the droves if they're not careful. I think it's really that serious. It could be very easy to brush off what City fans have complained about since Saturday as sour grapes. To be honest, I wouldn't expect anything less. It might be an overreaction, but there are some on social media who say this will be their final season as a match-going supporter if this is how VAR is going to be used. Sour grapes or not, it certainly has problems. It feels like in solving some issues with the game, all VAR has done is create entirely new issues. After just two games, it's hard to believe that video technology isn't going to dominate the talking points of this whole season. Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So a look there at uh, the video decisions from Saturday. Um, we'll start with the disallowed goal because that was that was the biggest talking point in the uh, in the game. Um so Helen, in terms of of what the problem is, what what is it? Is it is it the fact that we have this video technology now, or is the law now too strict on on handball? It's the handball law, um, and the, it's the way VIR is implemented. Secondly, but also the handball law itself, um, taking away the intent is a massive factor. I mean, you know, the port didn't mean to do what what he did. I'm not even convinced he knew he did it. I don't think he knew he did it, and it could have easily just been uh, the defender. It. No one knew what he did. It, it, from what I can see, it didn't really change the tra- trajectory of the ball. And more importantly, it made no difference. You know, he still had to square up, turn, make a turn and then score. It wasn't a direct impact of what had happened. Well, Nick, you can kind of see why the law has been changed. Because, again, you don't want you, you don't want like the Lorente situation from Spurs last season where you can kind of control the ball with your arm and then knock it over the line and score a goal like that. So you don't want that to happen. But it now feels like we've gone too far the other way. Well, if you look at the two situations, this is what annoys me. I know the law's changed, but last season, Lorente's goal was fine because it came off his arm. Then this this season it's got defle- it's deflected off Laporte's arm um so stage further back it, it i just i just cannot get i just can't get my head around it and my i understand rules are rules and everybody just sits arguing the toss about it on twitter because nobody has a clue what the hell's going on anymore and i understand rules are rules etc but my my issue is it's cl- you know it's clear and obvious i don't think that was clear and obvious well, the, the problem with clear and obvious is that it's for subjective decisions. And the way the mm. handball law is written now, it's factual. Does it, did it hit his hand? Yes, it's handball. So like, it, so they don't even allow the, the referee the, 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 the option to have an opinion on whether it's an intentional handball anymore. That's, I mean, the, the law now, I've got the, I've got the law in front of me. It says, it's an offence if a player gains possession or control of the ball after it touches their hand or arm and then 
scores in the opponent's goal, or creates a goal-scoring opportunity. Now, to me, Helen, that actually means that the law was wrongly applied there because because yeah. Laporte didn't gain con- gain control or possession of the ball. No, he didn't. He didn't gain possession of the ball at all. It's absolutely absurd. But he did use his hand to deflect it to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but it, did it really deflect? I'm I'm not really having that. I mean. This is going to continue to happen. Footballers have arms. You know, they're playing football. They're jumping around. Things are moving. It's not river dance. They're not like that the whole time. Um, I just think this is just going to get trickier and trickier as the season goes on. I've got. I need to shout out to uh, to Gaz on Twitter, Burnish Daydream, as well, because he he made a he put a tweet up where he's got a point where he said. You penalised if your hands are in an unnatural position and the ball strikes your hand. But if you're an attacker now, you might as well have your hand in an unnatural position because if it hits it when it's in a natural position, it's still penalised. So, yeah, good point. So, 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 well so done, just, Yeah, so just star jump your way through the area. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, does it? Um, Nick, I mean, nobody on the pitch saw the handball. And then when Lloris found out about it and he, the, the free kick was given, he was laughing. Yeah, he was stood there laughing. Nobody, nobody called for it. And the thing is, they'll cut, like... Obviously, we've all watched a few football matches. If you think there's a sniff of a handball, everyone's like, you know, hands up, arms in the air, the arms air. in the air, looking at lines. But no, but nobody realised. No. no, nobody had any idea. We were laughing in our block. Let's see them disallow this. Let's see how yeah. they're going to disallow ah, this. So and then it's your fault. But then there, there it was. <laughs> but there lies the problem in the stadium when you're watching the game. You've got no idea what is going on. It's like it took that long for it to come up that the goal was being checked. I know all goals are, but for them to announce that the goal was being checked took too long. Then without, at least, you know, in the Women's World Cup, you, you saw the referee would go off the pitch, would review it themselves, where all you've got, Michael Oliver's got, Graham's got in his ear telling him, what he's seen and he has to go with that there's no autonomy there there's no, nothing that the referee is actually going and seeing and then can explain to the players everyone seems just as lost as each other the problem is again it comes back round to of course Graham Scott's in his ear saying oh yeah it's touched his hand because that's all they're looking for whether yeah. it has touched his hand or not and then when you read the law and it says did they gain possession or control surely that's where the element of subjectivity yeah. is so, it, so when, when you bring it right round actually is the law fine and the application of the video technology was wrong yeah Potentially. I mean, if the law is... About the possession and control rather than just contact with the hand. I mean, are, are we are we using that now and, and applying the law wrong and when actually we should be looking at the video and saying, did it touch his hand, yes or no? Then did they gain possession or, or control of the ball? Which yeah, the second bit that, we didn't do. It needs that subjectivity. It needs yeah. to be put into context. It took 1 minute 38 seconds, Nick, from the ball crossing the line to uh, the decision of handball being given. Um, it's too long, surely. When you're at home, right, and you sat, for example, I watched Wolves versus United on Monday, been the gym, come back, just sat on my sofa, and I saw them, they were going backwards and forwards with the picture, they had all the lines on, you knew what they were looking for, they were talking about it. When you're in the stadium, you're celebrating a goal, and then you get the big ominous, like, blue glow from over your head, and as soon as I feel that blue glow, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is going on now? You have no idea what's going on, you just have to sit there awkwardly and just wait to see whether you can you know what happens when you stop you stop celebrating that goal do you just you know do you just stand around and then oh all right they've allowed it nice little clap and we all sit down it's just i think it's taking a bit of that passion and intensity mm. out of the game because you just sat away waiting around for a couple of minutes will you ever celebrate a goal the same way in the stadium just in case i don't think it'll stop me but i've been through that heartbreak with spurs twice now Twice, everyone else has. It's not just me. I know it's not. It's not, <laughs> it's just not a, personal thing. It's not personal against me, but it's you are gonna. I'm gonna get into the point of thinking now. Oh, it's we've scored, nice one, but we have to wait now. So do we have to sit and wait till we get the voice from? I like, mean, Helen were talking yesterday, and I ended up going off on one saying I thought it was all a conspiracy theory, and there's actually no one there, and it's all made up. <laughs> I know it's real. Please don't judge me. It was just, it was just yeah, being re- a bit weird. Yeah, it, it sounds odd when you say, "Well, the referee's hearing voices." That's the, uh, <laughs> that's what's going on. Um, so I mean, just in terms of, uh, of of the handball then itself. If the law was brought in to stop hands being involved in goals, then surely it can only apply to the player who scores the goal. I it, agree. Yeah, I think it should only it should only apply to. Uh, well, I don't know. Was if it, it, was, was if it, it if it hit Jesus on the arm, bounced down, he'd taken a couple of touches yeah. and, ba- and banged it in the bottom corner? Yeah. We'd all sit here and say, "To be honest with you, yeah, all right, I understand that it's handball." I, I'm not going to go to the extent of other people and drawing diagrams and and 
equations and stuff but i just i just think it's like it's almost just taking common sense and like you say you know the subjectivity out of it but then at the same time i'm complaining that it's taking too long but then if we take into account what he's hit his arm but he might not have done this and actually because me and helen were talking about this for a while last night so if it was me and helen doing VR, football matches would take days (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's striking it's striking that balance to maintaining the flow of the game but making sure decisions are correct but i just i think I don't really know how to express how I feel about that handball or without swearing, but I just think I don't. I'm not very impressed by it at all. Helen, Jesus needed two touches after after the handball to exactly. score. Exactly, it wasn't it wasn't direct. It wasn't a, a direct pass. It wasn't a cross. It was a minor deflection, if anything. He had to take the ball, say come out, turn, then slot it in. It wasn't. It wasn't direct. It's, yeah, it didn't go. It's not as though it, it came no. off Laporte's arm, went not straight, straight to his feet, and then he could hit it in. He was like, he had to take a couple of touches to control the ball before he could actually take the shot. So the question is is the ball landing at the feet of a striker inside the box? when he's got two or three players to get the ball around, is that a goal-scoring opportunity? Did that did that flick off the arm? Whether or not it changed the course of the ball, did it create a goal-scoring opportunity or did it just give possession to Jesus? It gave possession, he created the opportunity himself. So in terms of the law, it says if the player who handles it gains possession, that's that's a breach of the law, and or if the player uh, gains control of the ball, that handled it, and Laporte did neither of those two. So as the law stands, should it have stood? Yes. Definitely. Okay, so then let's move on to the other VAR uh, controversy from that game. Um, even if that, even if we sit here now and we say, okay, fair's fair, the handball has been consistent with everything that's been given this season. It was consistent with the Wolves-Leicester game, for instance. Why wasn't VAR consulted over a, a possible penalty? How can Michael Oliver not penalise Eric Lamella for wrestling, wrestling Rodri to the floor? Well, you say wrestling may as well have given him a stunner. It was absolutely ridiculous. His arms were all over him and brought him right down. My, again, and I know I keep saying this, clear and obvious, how is a man who is six foot three tall, because I googled how tall he was this morning, how is a six foot three tall man getting wrestled to the floor? Not clear and obvious. Does this go back to whether the referee saw the incident at the time, whether he was looking, whether he wasn't looking? But I I just... I just can't get my head around the whole thing. It's, it, it was clear and obvious because he literally did get thrown on the floor by Lamella. Now, this one is a subjective call, so it is subject to the uh, clear and obvious test. Uh, this is what Neil Swarbrick had to say, the uh, the head of the VAR implementation and the former Premier League referee. He was speaking on uh, BBC Radio 5 Live. He was talking specifically about this incident. The referee will look at the situation, explain over the comms why he's given that decision. The, the VAR will look at the replays, and if it's confirmed what the referee said, then he'll just leave it alone. The arm was round the top of the body, yet Rodri fell forward. He didn't fall backwards as if he was pulled. He fell forward. So he's felt some contact. Can he win the header? No, he can't. I've gone down looking for the penalty. That's how the referee read the incident. And the VR looked at the replays. And what Michael said to the VR was exactly that. And it was check complete. It was left alone for the referee to make the decision on the field of play. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. So that was Neil Swarbrick speaking to BBC Five Live about that incident. Helen, what's your, what's your immediate reaction when you hear him say that? Well, in that case, it would have been better if Oliver hadn't seen the incident at all. Uh, you know, in that case, VAR could have actually stepped in and, and done its job properly. Um, I think the fact that he thinks he was pulled bo- pulled backwards but fell forwards, you can see he was. they were running together in the same direction. That was that sort of gravity, in a way, if he's being pulled at. He goes down, whether it's forwards or backwards. He still went down. What Neil Swarbrick has said, and what the what the what the Premier League said when I asked them about it was, you know, the referee describes what he's seen to the VAR. If it matches up with pretty much what's on the on the images, then they'll assume that the referee, if he goes to watch it on the pitch side monitor, he'll make the same decision again. So we have to assume that Michael Oliver has described a tangle between Eric Lamella and Rodri, so it can't be subject to the, the clear and obvious test because the referee's made a decision and they don't want to re-referee the games. What's what's the point of VAR if they're, if, if they're not going to overturn calls like that one? I thought when VAR was brought in, it was for specifically for... Well, not specifically. I thought it was for incidences like that. So when you think, was that a penalty, was it not? And, you know... You can have have another look, a, like a quick look. Was it yes, or, yes or no? 
I don't I don't know where the issue lies with it. I don't know whether the referees on the pitch aren't good enough so we need to get video ones. I don't know whether we're kind of taking it with the with video assisted referees or whatever they're called. I don't know if we're kind of taking everything to the nth degree, but we've got to strike the balance between looking at everything like like the port's hand arm ball looking at everything which is really tiny and minor and then for me that was a major incident in the game and it was you know it could have changed the outcome of the game so and the only reason the referee the video assistant can't overrule the referee is because the referee's seen it well what's what's the point if he's seen it and made the wrong decision then surely that's what the video is there for yeah that's when he should be corrected in that case did michael oliver see laporte's arm it doesn't matter though because that was a goal. It's automatically checked, and it's a it's a, a factual thing. Did it touch his arm? So it's so that's where that's where the inconsistencies lie, and that's what I mean. That's what I know. A lot of fans are getting are getting kind of caught up on. Helen, are we? Let's be honest here with VAR. Are we focusing on the wrong things? Are we looking too much in in whether somebody's shoulder is offside in the build up to a goal? Whether the ball has flicked off somebody's fingertips before it's gone through to, to somebody to, to tap it in. When actually what we should be doing is going, was that foul inside the box? Was that a foul yeah. in the box? Have you sent off the right man? Exactly. It's It should be for decisions that are actually clear in hindsight. When you, you know, the frustrations that were, were had before with poor refereeing decisions or when something really obvious was missed, when, you know, when someone should have been sent off, when someone was brought down in the area. That's the sort of thing that this, that, that VAR should be working on. And instead it's all marginals. It's these, it's these little instances that, that are over-examined and just still not looking at the bigger picture of the game. I'm going to throw it out there as well. The technology, what they use for VAR cameras, the cameras, I think it is, um, is it 50? 50 frames a second. 50 frames a second, right. A GoPro camera has more frames per second than that. So if you're just sat... When I I saw it with United versus Wolves, they literally just sat scrolling backwards and two. And obviously I was praying that the Wolves goal stood because <laughs> I am a child. A massive bird. I'm just a massive bird. Sorry, I was literally like, oh my God, I swear to God, if VAR rules this out, I'm actually going to trash my, trash my coffee table or something. But it's fine. So my coffee table's That's safe. Okay. And coffee you know, table's safe. Coffee table's fine. Wolves drew. We're all good. But it's just, it, it's like they're, they're agonising over like whether somebody's toenails like four millimetres offside. Or armpit. Or armpit. Well, yeah, technically armpit. I'm just being really sarcastic because I hate it. But it feels like they're they're using VAR to agonise over tiny, tiny, tiny little decisions rather than the big stuff. And I thought it was more... It was more kind of general stuff like, you know, all the stuff what Helen listed before. That's what I thought it was going to be used for, not to see whether somebody's armpits a millimetre offside. I just so do think you, it's do you trust? Do you trust that by the end of the season will feel like VAR has evened out those close calls over the course of the season? Or do you feel like, we're just, we, we, like without wanting to do it, we're going to be sitting here every week talking about why we don't like it? David, you can see my face right now and it's not a happy not face. I'm, I'm just really, I'm really just got my face absolutely screwed up. I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if it goes, who knows if a VAR decision goes our way, it might happen one day, ladies. <laughs> ladies and day. <laughs> but it, it could, it, that might change my mind, but I, I think it's going to take a while to sort it out. The thing is, we're only going to find out the faults and flaws with the laws and VAR with the more games you play. So it's not as though we're going to play three games and be like, all right, cool, we can sort this out now, it's fine. I think it's going to take a long, long time and I haven't got the patience for 10 years because well, two matches has been a long time. Well, plan of action, okay, because VAR isn't going away. The laws of the game aren't going to change between now and the end of the season. So let's do it now. Let's run through each of the issues and let's come up with a, a solution of some sort that uh, that we can then clip this bit out and send it to uh, to FIFA and we can get it all sorted between this. the three of us now in the studio. So first off, offside. How do we judge offside with VAR? By feet. Any part of the foot is beyond the line of the attacker? Full or- foot. Oh, so a full, so a full foot I'm has to be full foot, yeah. yeah. And in terms of of kind of like where you draw the line, it will be on the uh, part of the defender's foot that's closest to their own goal, and then the attacker has to be all of his foot has to be beyond. Yeah, that. yeah, that's intentional. By then, yeah, you can say that they've gained an advantage. They've by gained that an point. advantage. Yeah. Okay, so Nick, handball. Like, how do we stop handballs being involved in in goals, but we prevent the nonsense that we had on Saturday? Um, the player who scores, if they score with their hand or their arm, 
I think that's that's the point where we assess it then, not if it's hit somebody's hand then going to going to the striker or whoever's about to score. So only the player that scores the goal? Yeah. Okay, simple as that. Penalties then, Helen. If the governing body doesn't want to re-referee matches, how do you overturn wrong penalty calls without if the referee on the pitch isn't going to give them? Uh, pitch side monitors, surely. If there's any kind of dispute, if there's anyone... You know, people call for penalties. You don't see much like the confusion on Saturday was you never see someone go down the area or a, a bad foul and people go, oh, that's fine, carry on on the pitch. <laughs> there's, always, there's always a shout for a penalty, um, if not from players and definitely from the fans. But, uh, you know, we like trying our luck anyway. Um, so I think at the minute there's any sort of debate, if someone goes down, if there's, you're not sure if, you know, if it was a dive, if they were brought down, then you go to you go to a pitch side monitor and have a proper look yourself because in terms of let's let's clear up the pitch side monitor thing though because we don't want to we don't want the game to be taking forever like you said you said before if if you two were doing it it'd take three days because you, you'd be watching the thing over and over <laughs> watch again. Watch this, watch this bit. Yeah. Um, but so how do we how do we keep that quick? Maybe the referee only gets to see it three times, and if they yeah. once they've seen it three times, if they've not made a decision, the on-field decision stands. Yeah. yeah. Does that I, seem fair? I th- I think like as Helen keeps saying, I think pitch side monitors. It's I think I think having pitch side monitors, he and he has to look at it from different angles and he has to assess it, not describe what he's seen to somebody in Christ knows where, and then they, and then they make a decision based on that. I think I do think pitch side monitors. Would so instead of the the video referee overturning a call the referee has to overturn it himself so that you keep the decision with him why do we have to have you know we've got referees linesmen fourth official Champions League then you've got them two geezers who stand behind the the goals with the sticks we've got VAR you know how how many more people do we need to make sure the right decisions are being made because we have got a lot of people there and 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 we haven't got any right decisions and that's where that's why I can't get my head around with VAR we're just we're just going to keep throwing personnel behind it until we get it right I mean VAR by name is there to assist the referee video assistant referee yeah yeah. (laughs) they should be the one to therefore still make the calls but be given more information if needed I I thought but keep it quick I thought VAR was right I might not have seen that properly I'll just Potter over here next to, next to Pep, and I'll go and have a look at what's done. Obviously, you can tell why I'm not a referee because it'll take about four weeks. But I thought the referee saw an incident, bit questionable. Go and have a look on the monitor. You can see it from a couple of different angles, and then and then they make the call from there. Yeah. It's not all this slowing down and uh, like slowing it down to so moving it backwards and forwards. So if you can see there's an armpit on or offside, I just. Without sounding like an idiot, I just think it's like it's like nitpicking and splitting yeah. hairs. Yeah. I mean, on that though, I do think you know we do have to think we keep complaining about the atmosphere and the the impact it has on watching the game live. So therefore, there needs to be some sort of transparency, maybe something on the screens that, on the screen. also, that also will show the the fans what what, what the, referee the referee is see. watching. Yeah. yeah, so at least fans can make their own decision as well and get that information yeah, rather that... than just standing there. Well, if you if you've got any ideas at home how to uh, how to sort out. VAR, but that, that isn't simply get rid of it. Then uh, we'd love to hear it. Get get in touch at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Um, but for now, we're, we're going to actually do some reviewing of the actual game against Spurs. So uh, let's be honest. That handball decision at the end of the game aside, City should have been out of sight by the time that that decision came along. What was it? Thirty shots, thirty-one shots to three. Yeah, um, absolutely crazy amount of shots we had. Um, we were the best team by far on that pitch. We. It was a very overall. It was a brilliant performance. You know, it was a great game to watch. Um, frustrating at times. It's all before the end, obviously. Um, I mean, that Otamendi shot he missed, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we just one that it's I hate to say it. One of those days where we just couldn't seem to finish. So which is it, Nick? Are you are you encouraged by the performance against a really good Spurs team, or are you discouraged by the number of chances that they wasted? I think it were two games in the season. It's not. It's, I don't think it's the right time to start getting upset and whatever. I just think it's a bad day at the office. When we play Bournemouth and obviously the fixtures which are coming after that, as long as we can build on that, and Pep has Pep's obviously said said to them in his in the Pep way, listen, you need to start putting these chances away. Spurs had three chances and they scored two goals. I mean, it's Spurs as well. It's you know they're they're a great team. Yeah, they'll. I think they'll be definitely top four this season. You know, we drew to Spurs. We didn't draw with Wolves. So. Uh... <laughs> some, some top quality uh, sneak Bertie in there. Sneak. Um, stealth Bertie. Stealth Bertie. <laughs> oh, 
Oh dear. Um, it was. Let's be honest, though. Two soft equalisers. Um, Edison not great with that first one, was he? His positioning seemed a bit all over the shop, and then his footwork just seemed to fail him. I don't think anyone. Ex- I don't think he expected um, Lamella to, s- to strike that goal, though. I think caught him off guard, um, which isn't like him. You think you know he's he's done enough for us that we can allow him a bad day, but. Um, I don't think he saw that goal come in. And the minute Mora came on, I just knew what was going to happen. That near post is a problem, though. Yeah, we we need to stick someone there that can actually head a ball. I mean, you look at the options City have got there. City, whenever they go forward for a set piece, we always go, they're not a big team, they're not that, they're not that threatening from set pieces. Then you look at the defence, you know, Otamendi, pretty good in the air. John Stones, mm-hmm. a guy injured at the weekend, but pretty good in the air. Rodri's, well, I'm going to be honest, is a unit. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Rodri played very well. Um, but I do think, you know, had it been Fernandinho, he probably would have done a bit more to stop the goals. In terms of a couple of individual players then, Nick, um, Kevin De Bruyne looks like he's he's back with a point to prove this season. Definitely. Sim- simply with the amount of time he missed last season, doesn't he? Yeah, of course. I think I think he'll he'll be he'll be wanting to kind of make up for lost ground. You can see he's dedicated like dedicated and he just he just wants to play well, doesn't he? He was absolutely shattered at the end of that game. There was a there was a breakaway at one point where the 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 second half they were attacking the end at which I sit, um, and there was a breakaway where he got the ball and people were streaming past him and and all people around me were going run run with it and you could see look in his face going he was I, knackered I, I cannot he? run with this and yeah. he just just kept moving the ball on yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. you you could see the energy he's putting into his performances at the moment. Yeah. Um, Helen Guardiola tweaked the formation slightly to get. De Bruyne in that number 10 position it, it meant that David Silva dropped to the bench um, you, you can't not have that Kevin De Bruyne in that position can you he's, he's just proven to be one of the most dangerous players in the league already two games in I mean he's, he's an absolute complete midfielder he can play anywhere you know you can put him in you know, any position across that midfield and he'll absolutely dominate it I mean that first first cross for the first goal was absolutely next sublime, level sublime yeah. that's a great word for it um <laughs> I think you know he's he's fully fit again now. Obviously, we had you know it was a problem last season, but I think now he's back to full fitness. We're just going to continue to see this throughout throughout the season as long as he stays as long as he stays fit. <laughs> and uh, Aguero Guardiola, there's uh, there was nothing out of the ordinary with that exchange. It's a player who doesn't want to come off and a manager who, uh, who who wants to win the game. It's as simple as that. That was that was all it was. And the th- I think the thing is as well, what I, I, in a bit of a what, I don't want to see anybody argue. I want them all to be friends <laughs> and all really like each other. But the thing is, I think Guardiola's saying there, look. He, he's not above anybody. He doesn't have higher status, and he ha- he has to do as he's told because Pep's the, Pep's the boss. And they were hugging after the supposed winner, weren't they? So it was all. I didn't even see them arguing. I took um, I took my best friend, and she was sat. Uh, she, she's not a City fan, and she was literally just sat there going, "Pep and Aguero are arguing." I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" And, <laughs> and um, after the goal, they were hugging. So it's all. So oh, water fine. on the bridge, at least, isn't it? And uh, finally, Helen uh, Raheem Sterling. It's it was difficult at the end of last season to see how Sterling could improve, and yet here we are. He's got even better. Yeah, and I still think still think there's scope for improving further. He's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, he's been on fire so so far this season. Um, I think the minute you see him get the ball, you can see him cutting in. You can see him breaking through. You get excited. You know he's onto something. You know, last last season two some of the most important goals we scored were through him cutting through people, making those uh, crosses in, making, you know, getting these run, run-ins through. I think he's absolutely unbelievable. I think that's the first time I've actually started smiling and stopped scowling since we've, uh, <laughs> since we've been talking. It was really, Raheem Sterling's got me out of my grum. That's good. Job done. I think I, I, I like that. that was, uh, that's a nice place to finish. <laughs> If you want the best coverage of Manchester City, and you obviously do because you're listening to the Blue Moon podcast, then you could try The Athletic. It's completely ad-free, there's no annoying pop-ups, and there's a world-class team of writers. If you want to give it a go, then head over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Blue Moon, and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription at £2.50 a month and a 30-day free trial. Now, you all know Sam Lee. He's doing their City coverage, so you already know what to expect. But this week, he's been writing about John Stones and how he reacts to setbacks on the field. Sam 
Adams analysed the defender's performances and how he's developed, but also how each season has followed a similar pattern for him, posing the question of how big this coming season is for Stones. There's also an interesting piece about how Guardiola might try both Aguero and Jesus together in the starting lineup and the squad's versatility, how that could tempt Guardiola into trying something new this season with how he sets up his team. So if that sort of stuff is your thing, visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash blue moon to receive 50% off your yearly subscription and a 30-day free trial. Welcome to the new home of football writing. When Joe Royal's Manchester City were struggling for goals in the Premier League back in the year 2000, the manager went out and added more firepower to the squad. Darren Huckabee came in, but his arrival wasn't enough to ensure survival in the top flight. It did mean, though, that he became part of the entertaining Kevin Keegan squad that won Division 1 back in 2002. I've been speaking to the striker to get his memories of that era. I came in and, you know, the, the culture probably wasn't great at the club, to be honest with you. You know, there's a bit of a drinking culture. Things needed to change and, obviously, getting relegated doesn't help. But uh, I think it soon changed pretty quickly when Keegan came. What did Kevin Keegan do to, to kind of give it the a bit of inspiration? Well, straight away, he, he knew that the training pitches and the training ground wasn't good enough. Uh, needed needed updating very quickly. And he, you know, he got the pitches sorted out straight away. Uh, got rid of a few players who who probably you know needed to move on and brought players in. And like I say, you knew with, with Keegan that you were going to get entertaining football. And I think the, the fans bought into it, even though we, you know, we lost game here and there, you know, it was, a, it was a great time to be a City player. You've got the likes of Ali Benabi, Ayle Berkovic, Sean Wright Phillips all, all in that team. Uh, there, there was just so much creativity for you. Yeah, it was it was amazing, you know, obviously Goats and Paolo Wanchop, myself as, as a, the main three forwards. Uh, when you've got Benabi and Berkovic behind you, you you're going to get chances. You know, Ali Benabi was you know, one of the best players I've ever seen. It's, it's kind of a shame that he probably came to, to England a bit too late, really. He came when he was 25, 26. I think people would speak speak of him as you know, like, like they do a Zola in Burkamp because he was he was that good. How much how much confidence does it give you to have those sorts of players in the team? Well, when he first t- turned up on his first training session, I thought we bought like a taxi driver because he, you know he's a little slightly overweight, a little little fella, and you're thinking well, what's going on here. And then you see him play. I think his first game was at Birmingham at home, I think, and literally I think he got a standing ovation. It, you know he probably only trained once just before that, but you know what a player, what vision. He, Fans appreciate fans and players appreciate players like Ali and you know, I think uh, the City fans are lucky to see you know a little glimpse of how good he how good he was. I think you know it'd be nice to see him five or six years before before that. But you know what a player that that Division One title winning team. It was it, 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 still a lot of City fans will look back at that time as uh, as one of their favourite eras because it, it was you know City had just had the the nineties where which hadn't been kind to them at all. And then, just to kind of come out of that with such entertaining football, what what was it like to be part of uh, of that kind of revolution? Uh, even now, looking back, you know, it sounds a bit drastic, but without that league win and getting back to the Premier League, I, I don't know where if we'd have this juggernaut that's Man City now. You know, I think it was vitally important that they got back up straight away before they went to the new stadium, and they've just you know it's snowballed since from there really. But I think it's you know a real important part of. Man City's history you know I'm really proud to be a part of a little part of that that you know hopefully snowballed into this absolute juggernaut and uh, you got a fair few hat-tricks in that in that season if I remember rightly one of which was on the day that that City won the title yeah it's, like I say with the players we had and you know the confidence we had coming towards the end of that, that that season you know teams were coming in just hoping not to get battered we had you know we was we was on fire really and I was just finishing off good moves for you know from Balls from Berkovic and Bernabeu and Wright Phillips. And you know, it was a pleasure to play with the likes of Sean Gotcher and people like that. You know, over my career, I've been lucky to play with some really great players. And you know, it's, 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 a, it's a massive part of my career that I look back on and thinking, you know, it's as good as it can get. And such a contrast, I suppose, from the first kind of six months of your time at City. You must go into games, you know, just feeling like I can go on the pitch and just play and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll probably score and it'll be just be, be a really kind of easy thing to do. Yeah, it's difficult. But when I first got to to City, I think I think five or six games in, I had a little tear in my cartilage. So I was always fighting it for that first season, to be honest with you. And you know, near the end of the season, I, didn't, I missed probably the last four or five games because I had an operation on my knee. So it was nice to get back and be part of something where people remember. Because I think people do remember, you know, sides that win things, and you know, just to be part of that and be part of you know this history, this great club it's you know it's, it's great when things like that happen because it don't happen very often in, in a career 
And there was that FA Cup tie at Ipswich where City had obviously the, the opportunity to show what they were doing on a, on a national stage. It was on BBC One, Ipswich with the, with the Premier League side. Um, and it was just, I mean, there was a golfing class on that day. Yeah, I think before that, we, we had a game. We went away four, four or five days before that, stayed, uh, I think, down Colchester way. And uh, Keegan just got it through to us. Uh, let's show everybody what we're about. Because we knew we were a good team. You know, we knew we were a good team, but it's all right beating people five or six in the in the championship. But we knew that if we played at our full potential, that we would we would destroy Ipswich. And that's what it was. It finished, I think, it 4-1, didn't it? But it could have been five or six. It was... You know, we were a much better team than Ipswich. So, you know, fair play to all the lads because especially doing it live on TV as well, it's not easy. What was key that season, do you think, to, to getting the squad back together and uh, and into winning ways to be able to bounce back to uh, to the Premier League in the, at the first attempt? I think it's all about uh, good players and character. You know, you bring in Stuart Pearce, even though he's 40 years old, he's not, he's not his, his standards never drop. I think, you know, you bring in Bernabe, you've got Berkovic, who's a great player, Kevin O'Rock. You know, Teatro, we we had players all over the place. Richard Johnny went on to, you know, we went four player of the years. It's you're only as good as your players. And, you know, we had we had some real good players, but we also had character and uh, determination because you know the championship is one of the hardest leagues in the world really to to get out of and to do well in. So, you know, fair play to everybody that was there that season because it's you know it's something that people remember for years. And of course, when when City are back in the Premier League, there's uh, you know John Mackin's just come in, Nicholas and Elk has arrived. There's there's much more competition for, for for places in the front kind of three, front two. Um, and you went on to score the opening goal of that season. Yeah, it was a, I think it was a skanky header on it against Newcastle. But they, but they all can't. We played very well that day. We could have beat them four or five. So you know, it was nice to you know be back in the Premier League and scoring goals. My only real disappointment was you know we bought players in, but. You know, between me and Goats, we scored probably 70 goals near enough that season. And you know, I don't think we played a game together, which, you know, you can imagine nowadays if your front two scores 70 goals going up and not kicking a ball in the same team together, you'd be a bit disappointed. But that's probably the only negative, really, that, you know, we, we all the hard work we put in the season before, we never really got a chance to, you know, kick on again. Hear all of our City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. So if you'd like to hear an extended version of that interview, then it's available for all of our Patreon backers. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Now it's time to look ahead to this weekend's game. We've got a preview of the game against Bournemouth. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we're joined from the Back of the Net podcast. We've got Jeff Haywood. Jeff, uh, welcome to the programme. I'd like to start just by uh, by asking how Bournemouth are doing this season, because it seems like you've had actually quite a good start. Well, four points from six. Uh, four points from six is pretty good. So uh, yeah, we're quite happy. Most Bournemouth fans are pretty happy with that. Although I think we expected to beat Sheffield United and get the draw against Villa. We did it the other way around. So yeah, we're okay. Helen, when when you see how um, City finished the game against Spurs, like it, it just kind of feels like this one. They're going to go into it the point to prove, aren't they? Because because of the way the game ended against Spurs. Oh yeah, the team are going to be fired up and out to prove a point. Definitely, I expect a strong performance. I expect um, a confident performance. Um, I think previous years it's been it's been tight against Bournemouth. Um, I'm not expecting that this time. I think you know I'm quite confident that we'll 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 get a fair few goals past him. Jeff, we've talked about the previous games. Um, last season, it was it was a very very tight one nil win where City had a lot of the ball but didn't do very much with it. The year before, it took a last minute Raheem Sterling goal to to win the game. Um, what what is it do you think about Bournemouth that makes them so difficult for City to break down? I'm not sure that we make it especially difficult. If you look at the stats from last year, I think you had 30 shots, we had zero. Um, so the fact you won one nil, you know, you should you should have beaten us much more comfortably. He parked the bus last year, 11 men behind the ball, and uh, probably a strong chance he'll do that again, I think. Nick, I mean, in terms of City breaking teams down, there must be a little bit of a worry if, if Bournemouth do park the bus, given how many chances City had against Spurs and, and still only managed to score twice. Hopefully we can build on that. Um, it was obviously quite disappointing we didn't win just due to the nature of the Spurs game, but we need to start finishing all those chances what we get I think it was just it was just a bit of a bad day at the office and we couldn't finish I don't think it's a, like a long-term problem we have but we do need to start taking those chances City's record Helen um, it's pretty good they've never ever lost to Bournemouth 
So that must give you some hope. Why are you saying that now? I say it every year, so... <laughs> I don't like stats like that. It stacks against us a little bit. It's always ready to trip up. Won six of the last seven visits to the Vitality Stadium. I mean, they've only made seven visits there, so it's, it, it, you know, it is what it is. But the, the only one they drew was in 98-99. I was there for that one. Oh, we uh, that was that was the iconic city season in the third tier. So it's uh, it's one that that a lot of fans uh, remember back to. Uh, the two red cards on that day as well. There were it was a nil nil draw. I remember uh, it was in our old ground, and uh, there were about thirty five city uh, support staff and play and subs along the side of the pitch. It was quite funny. Too big for the dugout. <laughs> Well, let's. I mean, bringing it a bit uh, closer to the modern day, Jeff. Um, obviously, you were you played Villa at the weekend. Uh, you looked like you were battering them at the first in the first half. Um, I wouldn't say that. I think um, I, I think the Villa, the way Villa play, kind of suits us. You know, they came on to us and um, we hit them on the break pretty well. Um, they pressed us quite high at the pitch. I think when we've played City, I mean, it, it's just much more difficult for us. You're very good at pressing. You were very good at winning the ball back in our half last season. Um, I like the stat that um, you just came up with that you've beaten us, you know, every time. Um, the last times you've been to the Vitality, you are the only top six side that we have yet to get a win against. So, you know, who knows? I'm looking on the bright side, but I can't really see it happening. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of games like this one, I was going to ask what you try and take from them. Because if, you, if you're going into it assuming that, that it's kind of a, a nothing-to-lose game, does that, does that give you a bit of, a, a bit of leeway to, to kind of have a go or anything like that? I, I don't know. You know, I looked at the way you played against West Ham and uh, as soon as you score, you know, it, it, it's super tough for the opposition. So I think the best we can hope for, to be honest, is is keep it nil-nil, maybe hit you on the break, maybe hit you from a set piece. If we get a one-nil, we might try and hold on. But then two seasons ago, we tried that, you know, when Charlie Daniels scored that spectacular goal and you still beat us in the last minute. So it, it's going to be tough, whichever way you look at it. Helen, City going into this one, the assumption I think from a lot of fans might be that this will be simple, but like we've said, it's been tight the last few years. Yeah, I know it's been tight. You know, last thing we want after last weekend is another last minute winner. Um, but I, I did I have an odd sense of optimism about this weekend. I think we'll have a point to prove. There was something you were saying about two years ago as well. Oh, yes. Fun fact. Right. Two seasons, <laughs> two seasons ago, uh, we had a, a disappointing draw with Everton at home. Uh, first time game of the season, I think. Uh, next game was Bournemouth away. We won. Then we continued to win up until New Year's Eve. So let's have some more of that. So simple as that. I mean, the, simple the, as that. The, the, I will say the wild card in that one is that um, the, the weekend's game finished with that VAR decision. So it's not exactly like it was a disappointing draw. It was yeah. it was a punch in the gut is what it yeah, was. Yeah, it was so far more than disappointing. Yeah, it's not, it's not quite the same, is it? Um, but Nick, like, like Helen says, it's the start of a run of games for City that, that are against sides that are traditionally outside the top six so how so in terms of building a run of results it must be it, it must be good to get off to a good start it is good that we win we've kind of got a run of teams which aren't in, in the top six however what does worry me sometimes is a bit of complacency like oh it's only such and such a team oh it's only them and we won't approach it the way we'd approach playing Tottenham Arsenal the rest of the top top six so as long as we can treat each of those games very as they're very very important rather than just being like you know a bit of a formality kind of thing which i know sounds sounds incredibly arrogant but it does it does happen like we slipped up against burnley a couple of couple of seasons ago didn't we um so we just need to kind of keep our heads and keep our eyes on the prize and i mean jeff in terms of the bournemouth squad as well i mean where where's that at from uh, from the transfer window in the summer uh, we had a pretty good transfer window. I think everybody feels that we've got a much uh, deeper squad. And uh, just for the record, we are seventh. So I know we're not top six yet, but... You know, You're as close as you can be, yeah. You're on the cusp. On the cusp, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that I uh, I think counts in your favour is you've got Raheem Sterling playing, who always scores against us and scored two seasons ago in that last-minute winner that you got. So... You know, whenever he plays, he's bound to score. So um, it's funny. Yeah. How, it's funny how that works out with some players. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. Whenever I see the, the fixture list says City against Bournemouth, Sterling is my fantasy league captain just because <laughs> he, he, he always feels good for a goal. Um, City were linked with Nathan Ake over the summer. So I mean, again, you must be pleased to keep hold of him. 
Yeah, I think the, the, the strong thing in our transfer window was we kept hold of Ake, uh, we kept hold of uh, Wilson, we kept hold of Fraser, and they're the, they're the sort of three key players for us, but also managed to strengthen the squad a bit. Um, I think that Harry Wilson, who, who's on loan to us from Liverpool, is a really good acquisition. He'll probably play on uh, Sunday. Um, and we also had Philip Billing playing um, for his last couple of games, and he looks really solid in the middle. So... You know, we've definitely strengthened, we're definitely deeper, but yeah, you know, it's it's going to be a tough, tough ask. And uh, Eddie Howe, he's he's somebody who I think, um, in terms of uh, of credit where credit's due, um, he, he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for the job he's done at Bournemouth, does he? I don't think he does. And um, if you look at the game that we played on Saturday, you know, three of that back four, Ake aside, that was the back four that came up from the championship. So... You know they're still playing five seasons up, and that's that's really good coaching. Yeah, well, uh, that VAR incident cruelly denied us a first win on the charity bet for this season. As Leon Mike's three-two prediction would have brought in two hundred pounds to kick us off. We're working with William Hill to raise money for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. So we need some correct predictions this weekend as City take on Bournemouth. Uh, Nick, I'm going to start with you. What's uh, what's your scoreline for this weekend? Three-nil. Uh, three-nil to City is uh, thirteen to two, so sixty-five quid if you're right. Helen, what are you having? I'm going to go for 4-1. 4-1 is uh, a rather nice 12-1, to 1, so 120 quid if you're right. Uh, Jeff, what, uh, what, what can I put you down for? I'm going for a really dull but really super exciting for Bournemouth fans, 0-0. Nil, nil. Well, I'm not going to lie, if uh, if City do drop points, I hope it's 0-0, nil, because nil, that's 22-1 to 1 and uh, £220 if you're right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Jeff, thanks very much for uh, for being part of the show this week. No problem. Good to be on it. Thank you. Ask the panel time. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram as well, so uh, check out instagram.com forward slash bluemoonpodcast. Uh, the first question comes from Don Preston on the emails. He asks, what do you think of the proposals to introduce facial recognition technology at the Etihad to stop people without tickets trying to get into the ground? Doesn't it seem like a huge invasion of privacy? For, for a start, do you think people without tickets will stand in those queues to try and not get into the ground? <laughs> Sorry, that's just me being awful. Um, for me, my um, I go to the games with my sister. Both got season tickets. She works in retail, so if it's a Saturday game, she can't go. So I'll give the ticket to one of my mates or my dad. Right, so if who we, then wouldn't get in? Who, yeah, who wouldn't get in because they don't look like my sister? So, which is fine. So then the ticket would go onto Ticket Exchange. My sister would only get what she's, you know, the thirty-three pounds or whatever. Yeah, what, it is. yeah whatever. It is. She get that amount. The club would then sell that seat for the full price. So then they'd make a profit on it. I don't know. It's just a bit. And and how how do you regulate it? Like, do we have everybody in and we scan everybody, and or do you do it from home on your phone? I just I don't I don't like it. It's a bit strong. I was going to say it feels a bit of an invasion of privacy, and then you realise that pretty much everybody's mobile phone these days has uh, facial yeah. recognition technology. Oh, oh everyone's yeah. used FaceApp, yeah. so that happened. So uh, everyone's <laughs> face is on a database. <laughs> oh, in Russia, fifty-year-old um, <laughs> Helen is on a database. <laughs> But also, you know, especially with the prices of a season ticket these days, it's, you know, it's quite common for people to share tickets yeah. and all that. It's trying to crack down on that as well, which is just another step of people being out outpriced of going to the football. Yeah. Well, the good news, Nick, and the good news, uh, Don Preston, is that uh, City say it's not going ahead. It was, uh, it was an idea that was pitched to them and uh, they say that discussions went no further than that stage. Might uh, have been the thoughts of having my double chins on record. <laughs> my poor <laughs> mum. <laughs> Well, uh, the final question comes from Neil McKenna on the emails. Uh, he asks, uh, can you see a situation where Guardiola renews his contract? It's it's one of those situations now where his contract ends at the end of next season. So he's got this and next season to go. And everybody's going. Well, what do we do when he leaves? He's not going to leave, so it's fine. We don't need to think about it. <laughs> so, so you do see a situation where he renews his contract? I hope he does. Um, I, I think, don't want hope. I want I want firm answers now. <laughs> well, if I can get through to Pep between now and then, I'll give him a shout. And I'll Excellent. Ask, thank I'll you. Ask, thank I'll, you very much. Everything in my power, I will do. I'll even stop slagging his cardigan off on Twitter, and I'll buy him a new one if he stays. They're my conditions. I think it depends on Champions League, doesn't it? If we if we win that in the next two seasons, he's he's going to go. 
Um, so don't win it. That's what you're saying. Get chucked yeah, out of it. Don't even play in it. I said he was going to he was going to stay at City till he wins the Champions League. So he's right. going to be here till he's about sixty or something. If he's <laughs> going the right Sorry, way. Sorry, Blues. We're never going to win the Champions League. Sorry, it's fine. But it's for the greater good. <laughs> Just think think about the bigger picture, everybody. It's fine. Would you, would you take never winning the Champions League if Guardiola was a manager for the next fifteen years? <laughs> no, it's, it's going to have to happen, isn't it? Or we're going to be in big big trouble. Right. Well, uh, that's it for this week on the Blue Moon Podcast. Special thanks to my two guests in the studio, Helen Powell. Thank you. And Nick Unsworth. Thank you. We'll be back next week to look back at the inevitable VAR talking points from the match with Bournemouth and look ahead to when Brighton come to the Etihad as well. If you can't wait that long and you'd like to hear some more now, then check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. For $2 a month, you'll get to hear a bonus podcast each week, and this week's is about crap players that we secretly loved. If you pledge $10 per month, then you could also be one of our guests on that bonus show as well there's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week see you then that was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast